Yo, this hot, this the spot, there it is pod.com We're interviewing the best comedians, so tune in quick and get your ears receiving them We talking about life and life to stream right to you From the microphone right to your home, dude Side note, this might get embarrassing, but no, don't sweat, yo Cause there it is Welcome to the There It Is podcast, a comedy podcast to help you find your inspiration. I'm your host, Jason Farr. That's how I do this. <laughs> Today's guest is a UCB improviser, instructor, and director who wrote the book Pirate Robot Ninja, an improv fable with recent guest Will Hines. So if this is your first time listening, you also have Will's episode to check out. Don't forget to subscribe. Billy is also an actor who's done a lot of cool stuff, but we talk improv today and take notes. He has a lot of great nuggets you'll want to remember. Before we get to the interview, though, I'd like to mention that I got to be on my friend Andrew Vann's podcast, False Start, Fake Sports, Real Shots. I'm on episodes 44 and 51, so if you like hearing me nerd out, check that out wherever you listen to podcasts. Okay, get your pen and pad ready because Billy is a bastion of improv wisdom. Here's my chat with Billy Merritt. I do know that you studied at UCB when it started, but I don't know if you were doing comedy before that were you performing at all before you started doing improv uh yeah actually i got into theater down in florida i was in florida uh west palm beach palm beach state college or pbc whatever it's called nowadays mm -hmm. uh and through that theater program i got really into i enjoyed improv more than anything else uh had like-minded friends who loved uh Monty Python and Second City in particular. So we kind of tried to figure out improv on our own oh, okay. uh, down south. And we realized at some point in time that uh, West Palm Beach is not the hub of great improv. So we have to <laughs> go somewhere to learn it. And the choice was Chicago or New York. We had more friends in New York and we were still considering ourselves actors first before improvisers. So we went to New York. Uh, mm -hmm. And then there was a theater up there called the National Improv Theater, or NIT, uh, which a friend of us told us about. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was our first official improv theater that we went to. Uh, and they were a great little place. They uh, brought us in. Uh, they actually uh, they taught really well. Uh, mm -hmm. They gave us jobs working as uh, ESL students or like teaching students English as a second language at public schools. Oh, wow. Uh, so we thought this is a dream come true. Then I would say about a month in, we just realized, oh, these guys are Scientologists. Oh my gosh. So we, uh, that's why they were so well organized. Uh, they, they teach a good <laughs> class. Uh, and that, it, there's nothing creepy about it at all, but I mean, clearly they had other interests in mind and they knew we weren't going to be Scientologists. So, uh, parted ways. it's not like we were... <laughs> kicked out or anything we just kind of left on our own to that's look for very better interesting i have not heard a story like that in regards to scientology it was called nit national improv theater uh started by tamara uh wilcox smith she was with the committee in san francisco when mm -hmm. dell was there then she moved to new york when Dell went to chicago uh and she kind of opened up her own little theater there uh, I don't think she was in the Scientology at the 
I think they were big in the 80s during the stand-up comedy boom where Jerry Seinfeld took classes. Uh, oh, yeah. and stuff. So they were like big in the 80s and we got there in the mid to late 90s and they were kind of flaming out by that time. They were kind of running out of uh, steam. And you I know, think they I'd, went out of business. Okay. Yeah. I had heard something about uh, Seinfeld dabbling in Scientology at one point, in the, you know, in like early on for him just because a lot of actors are sought after you know like this was before his show but i mean they will go after people who are trying to make it in the industry yeah you know and and so i'm not too surprised to hear about that but i just hadn't with improv i hadn't heard uh, them doing anything with improvisers but you know if their mo is finding people who are in a tough time period we're trying to make it and feel a little lost yeah uh, well there are a lot of improvisers they could (laughs) they could hit oh yeah (laughs) wow so you after about a month you left them yeah myself and uh uh, my friend michael delaney Mm -hmm. and a couple other people that came up from down south we formed our own group and played at the mit but uh as things got a little wonkier we went off on our own and this Mm -hmm. is before ucb came to new york so we were putting up shows anywhere we could. Uh, we had a, uh, rule of there were more people and there were more people on stage that were in the audience. We'd not do a show that night. Mm -hmm. And we did a lot of non shows, if you will. (laughs) Yeah. It was was about a year or two of just scraping and scraping and, you know, it was good. It was a good way to, uh, learn the truth about improv and performing comedy in New York. And were you doing short form or long form? At that time, uh, we were in uh, Florida. We were doing short form. And when Mm -hmm. we moved up to uh, uh, New York, uh, NIT taught kind of what I would call now mid form, uh, where your show would consist of maybe three or four segments that were scenic but had game elements to them, like... uh, the exercise one to four, four to one, uh-huh. uh, one person on stage, then two, then three, then four, then back to three to two to one. We did a little mini Twilight Zone thing and stuff like that. And they did a thing called a Herald, but it wasn't a real Herald. It was really what I guess we call a montage. Right. Just a series of scenes. But that was my first introduction to what long form could be. Loved it because it was much more scenic. Uh, and for me, it got rid of the bad habits of telling the same jokes over and over again. Uh, in my short form, which I do all the time, you know. (laughs) Um, When it comes to, you know, short form, was that something that you started deviating from uh, once you came, once long form came along, or was it, were you kind of doing that? Yeah, no, I think I, it was a definite turn. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think it's just because of the actor background and doing something that's, like representational theater felt legitimate to me. Like I was doing something important, but like I said, the big thing to me that I would say for years is what blew my mind with long form improv is I'll do a scene and never have to do that scene again. Mm-hmm. And a new scene will always come and there is no panic. Cause you always know that was great. Throw it away. You'll do another one. Right. And I never felt that was short form. What I got from short form was tremendous technique. You know, yeah. I highly encourage it. Uh, I think that technique can only help your scene work. And technique in 
you know, not in focusing on the parameters of the game of the scene in yes. in short form, uh, not game in the way UCB uses it. <laughs> yeah, but, no, game is in like yeah. doing split screen, uh, right, or sitting or laying down or standing up. You know, yeah, exactly. Um, not focusing words, on that. Be, I think, yeah, I think short form teaches you to be smart. Mm-hmm. You know, be as smart as you can be. You know, think and play intelligently, and I think that's what I pulled out as short form. So I. I always encourage people to take it and then go where you want to go with it. Yeah. You know, I think that's a really good point. A lot of people who get into long form start dogging short form. Yeah. You make a good point though, because it is something where if people are going to be doing a short form scene and they want it to be full and fresh, then they have to really think hard about well, what are the things that you need? You know, it makes you really hone your improv skills to think about what you really need in a scene. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, that's only, that's how I came up. So I can only think that way. So I always (laughs) tell my students, I mean, if you don't have short form, get it in your system, practice it. I can tell when I'm teaching somebody that doesn't have that ability. Uh, Mm -hmm. uh, also, I think the other side of that, like what you were saying about, uh, like a, a lot of time, I, there was times when I first got into long form, I definitely poo pooed short form. Can I say mm-hmm. poo poo? Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, sure. poo poo. Uh, uh, because I, I just have this theory. I, I feel that comedy is very territorial, so you want to protect mm-hmm. your own comedy. Mm-hmm. So, and there's a natural instinct of like, oh, that comedy's not real. That's not, you know good true comedy what we're doing this is good true comedy so i felt there was something defensive there as i've gotten older and cared a lot less i understand now (laughs) that it's all good you know it's not one or the other both right you know and if you can do both that's great right you know and i've also said just in in because that same sort of attitude comes up when people just talk about the theater they're at and uh you know you know, and UCB being so big, so many people have lobbed a lot of stones at UCB. Oh, but, you know, the thing that I've said multiple times is that, you know, whether you come from a Second City background or an Annoyance background or an I.O. or UCB or Magnet or wherever you're going, Groundlings, yeah. the Pack Theater, you know, wherever you're coming from, it's successful. You know, like people are successfully doing that style. So you can't say yeah, that it's so it works. invalid. Yeah. <laughs> you can't say it doesn't yeah, work. Exactly. Yeah. I think it just comes with, uh, it's a very vulnerable sport that we're doing mm-hmm. and we have to be protective of ourselves. So I think, uh, and I'm only thinking through my shell is like, we have this defensive measures. Like they don't know what they're doing. We know what we're doing. And, uh, I found out, uh, I had a writing job when I was living in New York mm-hmm. where I had to write comedy sketches for morning zoos, um, uh, morning uh, radio shows all over the country. Mm-hmm. And no local radio station wanted our stuff because we didn't know what funny was. Mm. So basically they just hired us to be people on the phone to play characters that they had written. So we were hired to write stuff, but they won't accept our stuff because it wasn't, it's not what's funny in Chicago. Or it's not what's funny in Kansas city. I you see. Know? And yeah. I, that's what I kind of picked up is, yeah, we are kind of defensive with our comedy. Comedy is subjective mm-hmm. and uh, we can be protective with it. For sure. 
and it's yeah. it's it gets to be a laborious thing, you know. <laughs> it's just like, well, you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> why can't this person just do what they're trying to do? <laughs> like if yeah, if it's not. Uh, I and, will say on the other side of that though, uh, the festival circuit, going to festivals and going to places like that, mm-hmm. I find it you know incredibly refreshing, and I yeah. like highly encourage people to, that don't go to festivals to go to a couple festivals every now and then and just see what happens when different troops from different parts of the world kind of get together and support each other. Yes. Not to be a hippie or anything, but you know, but they're so fun, fun, you know, and people from different backgrounds are, are meeting up and, and seeing each other and getting inspired by each other. And it's such an eye opening experience. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's, I always loved going to festivals for that reason, because you're just getting exposed to something that's not common at your theater. Yeah, yeah. And it's not, and it's clearly, you know, the coastal mental attitude of living either in New York or L.A. or for improv in Chicago. Those are the three coasts Mm -hmm. of going to a smaller town doing improv. It's like, they're doing great stuff here. Why wouldn't they? Why would I think that they wouldn't be doing great stuff? Right. You know, and it's like, ah, we're horrible people. (laughs) But we learn and we grow. And yes, we do. Yeah. Speaking of growth, so you start taking classes at UCB. What was yeah. it like seeing that theater grow the way it has from the beginning? Well, we were, uh, like I said, we were out of uh, NIT looking for some. We're still looking to do a Herald, and nobody that we knew in New York was teaching the Herald uh, uh, that we knew mm-hmm. uh, that that I know of now. Uh, UCB, uh, the four moved to New York and were, uh, they put up their sketch show and they were trying to put up a TV show. They were trying to get a TV show sold. Mm-hmm. So in order to pay rent, they were teaching workshops and that's how we got, uh, uh connected with them. Oh, and, wow. uh, what happened, I don't think they expected this I, from my point of view. I don't think they expected it to blow up as big as it did, but people from all sorts of different schools I didn't even know existed in performance places like Chicago City Limits and Gotham City, old school improv places all started taking workshops together uh, mm-hmm. uh, that Amy and Matt and Ian were teaching. Uh, uh, and they just couldn't fill. There are more, uh, more people wanted classes than they wanted to teach. It just kept getting snowballing until it became the theater they wanted. I think they got their TV show first, then they opened the theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, and talking about, uh, throwing stones at the, uh, UCB, it always felt like the theater when it was first open was a stone throwing theater. Mm-hmm. Like, this is how we're going to do it. Uh, we were, I think one of the original, I think we were called, uh, like, well, we were all agents of chaos, I think was the term. Yeah, I think so. And yeah. we were all considered agents. Uh, when we sent, they sent out an email, they said fellow agents. <laughs> they were out there to cause chaos in the world. And of course, apparently we succeeded. So <laughs> <laughs> now the stones are thrown at UCB. Uh, but they really brought together all these people in New York who wanted to learn this thing and nobody was teaching it. They were teaching it. Then we all said, oh, we all have been in this city the whole time. And we started forming groups and playing with each other. Uh, and then. Uh, they started going. I think that's when they brought Armando in, and that kind of mm-hmm. solidified the place as a theater, I feel, mm-hmm. uh, when he started as the first AD. 
And it's like, okay, we're classes, we're a theater with classes, and this is how we're going to run the place. That's cool. And Yeah, yeah. One of the things about the theater, I feel they wanted to open up that space because, like I said, there was no place for us to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, before they were there, we were scrimping and scraping. You either did a show at a bringer show, uh, which is a stage that's not built for improv, mm-hmm. uh, or you had to rent a cabaret space, which cost a ridiculous amount of money. So there was really no place for you to get up and try and fail and try again and get better. I think that was the main purpose of the theater. That's what I feel Besser was saying, Matt Besser was saying, when the theater was first opened. He wanted people to get up there and try as best they can and get good at it. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the the whole motivation for getting the theater going. It's tough to start a theater and for them to have that idea of, like, we're agents of chaos and, you know, let's yeah. really blend that out and then also like when we're on stage let's really go for it and not yeah, have it, yeah. you know let fear stop us that's uh i think they had that luxury in chicago mm-hmm. that i didn't have in new york i mean there might have been places in new york i just didn't know of them mm-hmm. but i think they brought that chicago uh and that's what chicago's had for a long time i'm i'm feeling that they've had places for you to get up and try stuff and get good at your craft mm-hmm for improv. Now, New York, there's open mics everywhere. So right. For stand-up, I think that's a perfect place to, you know, try your craft. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. certainly true. Uh, and, and, and you know, what's coming... Even, it still seems this way, that Chicago is, is a place to where, you, you know, you're seeing a certain level of, of uh, fearlessness and confidence on stage. Yeah. I mean, it's still kind of a mecca for improv. Yeah, yeah. I think if I did, if I moved to Chicago and not to New York, when when we made the big move, I would never have left. I'd still be in <laughs> Chicago, and I'd probably be almost a hundred pounds more than I am now. <laughs> oh, deep that, dish pizza! That food's too damn good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so when you saw the the school grow into what it was, what it has become, where it's ten thousand students and things like that, what? Yeah. And you're also teaching. About how long into your time at UCB did you start teaching? Uh, I would say a, a year into it. I've been at it for, oh, God, almost 20 years now with them. So awesome. I was one of the first teachers. Delaney was the first teacher mm-hmm. that I know of uh, okay. outside of the Chicago group, the, of the New York teachers. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then I came in and uh, started teaching. And a bunch of us started teaching. It was scary at first because I didn't know if I knew what I knew. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, I just went over uh, last year. I just realized how long I've been teaching and how many students I've taught. And over the last 20 years, I counted up to over 6,000 students. Wow. And it's like, that can't be good. <laughs> can't be good. I must have done some bad work there somewhere. I'm sure I, I did some good, but I, there must have been a few days where I just fucking mailed it in. <laughs> uh, uh, so it just becomes, um, I don't know, yeah, you need it. I need to keep teaching. I think for the longest time, if I taught it, then I'd have to bring it on stage. Mm-hmm. So the two things were connected for me. Uh, so if I taught and bring up examples, then when I'm on stage and I know my students are in the audience, I better do what I just talked about or be prepared to defend myself in the next class. (laughs) So I just found teaching and performing were one and the same for me. What, what can you tell us about what it was like being at this theater when it blew up the way it did? 
It's hard because when you're in the middle of it, you don't see it blowing up. Uh, mm. You're just there. We were in the first space, which was a uh, a former strip club and not a good strip club, like one of the really bad strip clubs that <laughs> other strip clubs make fun of. So it was a nasty little place. And uh, I would say the first year to two years, we were still putting up stuff and failing and doing wonderful at it. And then more and more people started coming. And I think it was, well, ASCAT was always sold out. They UCB always had a full house, no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was in a group called The Swarm, and we had a Friday night show. And then once we started selling out, I would say it, take about, it took about six months, and all of a sudden it became a thing, and then there was a line out the door. And uh, it was just like, wow, this is weird. <laughs> you know, we didn't expect this. Yeah. Uh, and then people were staying, this is way before online registering, people were signing up for classes. They were... Uh, staying overnight, sitting in chairs outside like they're trying to get an Apple iPhone or something wow. to sign up for classes when they knew classes were being uh, offered again. And wow. I think that's what, and it just turned into something big. They did a really good job of getting the word out about UCB at NYU, uh, Columbia, and FIT, always the Fashion Institute. Uh, uh, <laughs> those kids love us. But those students really... I think uh, made the UCB just a hot spot for places to go to. And it was so cheap too. So, you know, wow. it was an affordable thing to go see in New York at that time if you're a student. And that really students came, saw the show, saw that they could do it, started taking classes and it just built on each other and became a, a giant locomotive. Yeah. It didn't hurt that Amy Poehler, a celebrity was one of the people they could see. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's, and that was before she was a celebrity, but she was. Well, then I mean, she started, people, she was still at SNL when she started the theater, right? Or was it just after it she It was left? way before, no, she was at, uh, the theater started when the uh, UCB TV show on Comedy Central started. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I was, she got on SNL like right after that, I believe. But right. you know, it was before she made it big, but everybody knew she was going to make it big. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was, uh, she's just amazing. She was our, our first, uh, director for the swarm. Right. Uh, she taught us a lot <laughs> yeah, and without I, seeing what we were doing, right. you know? And I guess, um, when she started the theater, she had been on late night with Conan O'Brien as a character. So comedy nerds yeah. maybe would have known her, but she wasn't, you know, super famous Amy Poehler. No. <laughs> yeah. No. Everybody uh, came to know. But, um, yeah, it's just crazy that there was, like, some overlap there, and she was, like, running this theater. Um, yeah. I yeah. no idea what it would have been like to have been there at the same time as uh, someone who's on, like, Weekend Update. You know? Like, that's that's wild. Yeah, it was pretty wild. I, uh, and they, I think the Chicago, they created a Chicago portal where all these people from Chicago came and put up shows at that UCB theater mm-hmm. so that Lauren Michaels and other uh, agents and people can come see them. Like I remember Tina Fey and Rachel Dratch had a two woman show that was just incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's before they got on SNL. Oh, uh, wow. And I think that show that they were doing there was one of the catalysts plus all their, you know, <laughs> all their other talent, mm-hmm. but the show was incredible. And I think that's what got them on uh, SNL as well. Mm. And Horatio, Horatio was an original member right. of UCB. Horatio Sands, yeah, he uh, was in uh, Chicago, yeah, Vascat. Yeah. 
he kind of gave yeah. them the name Ascat, right? Like he was just yelling it <laughs> during a show, and then they said, "Yeah, let's go with it." I've heard so many stories of where that comes from. Uh, <laughs> I I choose the story that they used to play before they got their theater. They played at a place, uh, four floor walk up theater. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't remember the name of it now. Oh, I should know that's old trivia. But mm-hmm. in front of it were like these, um, oh, what are they called? Uh, fire hydrants for mm-hmm. uh, tenement buildings. Mm-hmm. You know, there are different types of fire hydrants. And the, it was like uh, Arc Sesame, no, not Siamese something, something. But you put all the words together and it's spelled ASCAT. Oh, interesting. Uh, and it's like, it's because of this, uh, I don't even know what to describe it. The, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I guess fire hydrant is the best way to describe yeah. it. It was named after this weird thing, and there's a plumbing store right below there, too. So uh, I don't know if that makes any sense. I don't. I've, that's a new story to me, but you're more in the theater. I've only read articles. So. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know. I was and, also high at this time, so who knows? <laughs> who knows? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure you weren't the only one. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, you, like you mentioned, you've been doing things for. 20 years you've been you know i guess you're probably longer than that uh what keeps you interested about teaching and performing improv uh i don't you know that's weird you go through ebbs and flows there's sometimes where it's like oh my god i'm just an improv teacher (laughs) what am i doing with my life and then you start getting work again and everything's great and it's like "Ah, i gotta keep doing it it's it changes uh comedy is changing it's changed from where it was 20 years ago Mm -hmm. you know and it's not because of, uh, you know, the, it's not because of, but partly because of the Me Too movement and just doing the right thing and things that we said 20 years ago are not funny now. They shouldn't have been funny then. Mm-hmm. You know, things mm-hmm. evolve. And it's tremendously exciting to see how it's evolving right now. And it's yeah. weird as to where our comedy is going, the collective mind, uh, uh, as to what's funny and what's not funny now. Uh, and I find that interesting. And students, uh, just working with people and the talent is just amazing to me sometimes. Not all the time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you get a few weirdos in class, of course. But Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just tremendously fun. Now, as far as performing, I've reached the age where I don't have to perform every night of the week. You mm-hmm. know, of, when you first start, there's a desperation where you got to get on stage all the time. Now mm-hmm. I feel I can pick and choose my time to get on stage. Uh and we were just talking about this, the smokes, uh, which is my team. Now, uh, we play on Mondays at seven, mm-hmm. which is the perfect time because you're done by eight. Uh, you go next door, you have a little piece of chicken, you go home, you're in bed by 10. Everything's nice. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I guess it also helps kind of comedy for sure. <laughs> I guess it also yeah. helps that you can do improv on podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. It's a comedy is coming from different places now. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, it's it's tremendous, you know, how you can get your comedy across. Now, getting paid for it is a totally different thing. <laughs> for sure. That's changed <laughs> as well. But, you know, we grow. We grow and we learn. Yeah. You were on a couple of legendary teams at UCB, correct? Like, I mean, maybe you yeah, wouldn't call them yeah. legendary, but they were early big, big teams. Uh, well, I would call them legendary because they're my team, so yeah. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else would. Uh, I think we were, I was very lucky to be on, uh, 
the swarm uh, mm-hmm. and the stepfathers and then the smokes out here. Uh, I'm only on teams that begin with a letter S, apparently. <laughs> and I feel the swarm is, you know, that's the team that really honed what I was as, you know, a comedian. Uh, what I feel my philosophy of improv is, which is a little different from other, and it should be, you know, uh, I think at the time we were talking slow play versus fast play mm-hmm. premise versus organic or this versus that. And I began to realize it's not like versus it's this. And also that being able to play both ways, uh, depending on the scene that you're doing in the form that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Armando, uh, Diaz as a teacher was great with teaching that, mm-hmm. uh, we had in the swarm, we had three great directors up front. Uh, Amy was our first director who helped put us together mm-hmm. and she taught us to attack, uh, no fear. Don't let fear crash on your couch. Get out there and do it. Uh, Armando taught us that game is everywhere. Be cool with it. <laughs> Relax. He gave us the hippie vibes. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, Kevin Mullaney was our last director and he really taught us, uh, how to be intelligent on stage. I almost call him the mathematician as far as improv goes. You see the form. He helped us develop the mono scene form or the show that we did. Uh, so I think he really got us up on our feet and running as the swarm. So mm-hmm. those three directors were my influences as to how I teach and how I perform now. So we were really lucky to have that. Yeah, that's a, an amazing group. I've only been coached or directed once by one of them, uh, and it was a couple of shows. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Who's like that? Mon- Armando, Armando, or yeah, um, Armando, yeah, right. He's amazing. He's he really is yeah, an amazing is. teacher and coach. Yeah, and yeah, uh, I believe that. Yeah, I mean, I've heard Jason Medzukis uh, as well talk about how how great of a of a coach he is. Yeah, and I've heard a lot of good things about Amy, of course, as well. But let's talk a little a little bit about your philosophy. What sort of gets you going with the way your comedy? comes out you know like your with your delivery system and and the sort of things you think are funny what is what would you say is your process oh and, it, and again, big principles. it depends on yeah the style and what i'm doing right you know like if i'm doing a uh a herald which uh, at my age i shouldn't be doing <laughs> my heart will go out if i keep doing a herald uh uh but i'll do it i'll do it Mm-hmm. I the first thing that popped in my head is patience and surprise is where I feel it comes into play, creating that base reality, that truth that the audience believes and sees it so that when you make that move, the audience understands why that's funny. Mm-hmm. You don't have to explain it to them. You know, I guess that maybe is on the side of observational comedy. Mm-hmm. But then. On the other side of I'm doing, like tonight I'm doing a show called Toledo Rep where we play a fictional theater company from Toledo doing a improvised play. We're pretty genre heavy. So the genre drives the show. So it's a little more presentational. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? So mm-hmm. it's a little bit different. Now, well, that's kind of what I enjoy. My first acting teacher, before I even got into uh, improv, Frank Leahy, uh, gave me this term and I thought he was just making fun of me but it's like you're a buffet style actor you take and pick and choose what you need for the role you're doing you know you might need to do a little Meisner-esque stuff for this role or you might be a little this over here or you might be this for that to be adaptable to the type and style of show you're doing 
is something that I wish I could do even better. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, that's what I strive to get better at. That strive, that doesn't discourage you at all? You know, like, uh, uh, like, do you ever have the moments of like, I should be better at this. I've been doing it for the time that I've been doing improv. I should be better. Do yeah, you ever... I think we all do. I call mm-hmm. them, uh, it's uh, my classes. I try to teach people to give yourself way homer notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's on the way home. The, the time it takes for you to get from walking off stage to getting to your front door mm-hmm. is your time to process that show. And if you find yourself beating yourself up all the time, uh, give yourself 30 minutes to beat yourself up, then stop it and move on to the next show. Mm-hmm. But if you felt you did good, make sure you pat yourself on the back all the way home as well. Find the, the balance between the two. Uh, my process now when I'm beating myself on the way home is I quit blaming others a couple of years ago <laughs> and I would blame others and this and that and really blame myself in a sense like, ah, why didn't I hear that? Why wasn't I paying attention? Mm. Uh, uh, why didn't I respond to that, you know, kind of thing. Uh, and I think that's a big move for me. It's quit blaming others for, uh, the show and realize you, you've got to do better then after that, it's like, it's all good. You know, mm-hmm. after that 30 minute process, it was a good show. You know, it was never a bad show. That's uh, really uh, great advice. You're going to be critical of yourself. Give yourself enough time to be critical, then drop it. I mm-hmm. think is the idea. Don't obsess over it. That's when it becomes a bad habit. Right. And that's when people can get too afraid to really tackle it later. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's something I learned from one of my great teachers here lewis kornfeld and he was saying like you know when when people put it on this pedestal of something like oh i can't do this i'm so bad at this it kind of makes them too afraid to ever try and so they never get better at it exactly exactly you need that that's goes back to what the original idea of the first ucb theater stage was like get up there and try it if you Mm -hmm. don't know it get up there and do it Mm -hmm. uh i think besser did something for me when I remember him telling me this, it's like, I need you to get up. This is back when my note was that I got from them was I'm too stand up. I'm telling jokes on stage. I'm not performing in scenes. And it's like, I agree. I'm horrible. <laughs> That's what you're saying. And I agree. <laughs> and he insisted that after the swarm show that I hosted the open mic or, or the jam, the improv mm-hmm. jam, which is a Friday midnight show back in New York a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he said, I want you to host the jam. And I said, yes, sir. But I want you to host it either high and or drunk. Do you understand me? I said, yes, sir. (laughs) Right away. And what he said is like, relax, have fun with this. Get out there and fuck it up a little bit. So, you know, there are no mistakes, Mm -hmm. you know, but I think that was a tremendous hosting that improv jam for those two years was the thing that helped me understand game more than anything else. So I could fuck up game enough and be okay with it that I'd learn it and not <laughs> obsess and freak out over it, you know? Yeah, I really like all that advice. Um, we're talking a lot about teachers here, so I'm interested to pick your brain about that. I'm not currently teaching, but mm-hmm. for anyone who listens who, who does, and for me in the future, if I get a chance to teach, I would like to know what are some things you th- you think teachers should be mindful of to do and mindful of not to do? Well, it starts at the very beginning, the first day of class, is you got to lay down that, uh, and it, it sounds cliche, but you got to let the, the, the students know that this is a safe space. And not safe space 
for lawsuit reasons, mm-hmm. safe space, because in order to learn comedy, you have to be vulnerable mm-hmm. to hear and to let things affect you. And the only way to do that is to make sure everybody in this class is a team and we're working together. We're carrying each other over the goal line type thing. Mm-hmm. And you got to hit them with that right away so you can remember it throughout the class. Let them know. It's like, remember, allow people to be vulnerable because there are going to be people who are more talented than the others. I expect those people to help other people not make themselves look good. And I think that's a that puts everybody on an even playing field so that you learn as a group, not learn individually. And that's big. And I think mm-hmm. I learned that through, honestly, we just finished up a, uh, a harassment seminar. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, I just realized how long I've taught where I probably, there are probably students who weren't, did not feel comfortable in my class because I'm loud and brash and gregarious and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I got to be careful and make sure that everybody can learn at their own pace and we can all work together. So lay down that foundation first, that we're all in this together. And then layer each class a new idea and a new idea and a new idea. So by the end of class, you've got five or ten things that you can put together. Mm-hmm. I guess well, that's called teaching. <laughs> that's the idea. Uh, uh, because people want to learn everything right away. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, An example will be, I just had a class where we're doing a three monologue opening. Okay, this is an example mm-hmm. uh, uh, where you get a word, you do three monologues, and you do three scenes off of that and do second beats of those three scenes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I want you to learn is to do monologue one, two, three, and scene one, two, three in that order. So monologue one, scene one. And everybody's like writing this down going, is this how it's going to be for the rest of our lives? It's like, no, I want you to learn that first, then we'll remove that stencil, you know? Mm-hmm. Then we'll try the next thing and move on from there. So uh, I used to t- use the term running with leg weights. Like mm-hmm. give your your um, give your class lots of parameters for how they're working, then pull those parameters away as they get more comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's and like a, I think a, that's a, what the herald is. Right. I mean, it's basically like training wheels on a bike, or you know, your parent exactly. who's holding the back seat while you're riding, exactly. and then lets go when you seem to have the strength. That's a much nicer version than saying running with leg weights. Uh, but I'm still going to say running with leg weights. <laughs> no, I like uh, it. Yeah, like the Herald is. I mean, the Herald is a heavily structured form. Mm-hmm. You're not expected to do that for the rest of your improv career. That's just to teach you all those skills. Mm-hmm. And then when you start doing non-Herald stuff, you become much freer, mm-hmm. I feel. Mm-hmm. No, I completely agree. You know, it's it's once you've found your balance in scenes, it's, you know, then you can. Exactly do more exactly. things yeah <laughs> and what are the things to be mindful not to do for me personally is don't yell too much i'm mm-hmm. very loud <laughs> you know <laughs> i i guess i grew up with a little bit of a jock attitude and i think that puts people uh, at edge sometimes i'll pick mm-hmm. on one person as a not in a mean way but in a fun way and i'm trying not to that's a personal note for me it's like mm-hmm. you know this is how I communicate with you. I razz you a little bit. And it's like, you know what? That doesn't work for everybody. Right. And that's something maybe I could have done 10, 15 years ago, but not now. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, you know, find a new way to get that across. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a big thing for me. Uh, being very mindful that the class is comfortable with each other and making mm-hmm. sure that you're, you know, not create, there aren't any risks or anything like that. So you're always hyper observant. Mm-hmm. Little teeny things like don't leave your classroom 
until everybody else has left. Mm. Don't leave anybody alone in the classroom. And it sounds like a safety thing, but it's more along the lines of that last person that leaves the room almost always has a question for me that they were afraid to ask in front of the class. Mm. And it's like, okay, nobody else is here. Let's talk about what you were afraid to ask in front of the class. Because there's always somebody in class that feels everybody else is getting it, but I'm not getting it. And I don't mm. want to look like the fool. You know? Right. That's another very good note. This is all good stuff. Let's talk Robot Pirate Ninja. So this is a theory that uh, I've heard for quite some time now. It's been, you know, it's something that you wrote a blog or an article about uh, quite some time ago. And it's now developed into a book that you have written with Will Hines. And... That's, that's Will motherfucking Hines. Yes. Okay, I don't know if you know that or not. I yeah. didn't, uh, that is his proper title. That's his official, that's how he likes to be called from now on. Have you ever talked to him? <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Let, uh, let everyone Will's take note. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Will the robot, and he's the one that really said, let's write this thing. Uh, <laughs> and it really comes from, in my teaching, I have found that certain notes work for some people, whereas other notes work for others. Mm-hmm. And uh, going back to my uh, college psychology class days, I was thinking of left side of the brain, right side of the brain, and creativity. Some of us tend to become creative or learn our creativity uh, either impulsively, just get out there and do it. Let's feel it in our bones. Let's get out there. Uh, uh, fuck your fear and, and, and find that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, versus some people are more analytical, uh, more mathematical and want to know all the moves before they move. You can't teach the same thing to everybody in the class. You have to find different notes for different people. Right. So I started categorizing, okay, this person's more of a, uh, analytical, more of a impulsive and those words are so hard to say and so hard to listen to in class mm-hmm. pirate and robot seem to be a lot easier to call it out and mm-hmm. it's funner to play it's right. pirates and robots are fun things for uh, students to listen to so mm-hmm. the idea is find out where you're coming from with your creativity you're not all impulsive or all analytical you just tend to lean a little li- right side of the brain or lean a little left side of the brain you're either a little analytical with your learning or a little impulsive the idea is know where you're coming from so that you can strengthen your strengths and from the point of strength, work on your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, I'm a pirate. I want to get out there and just uh, fuck things up if I can, and hopefully it'll work out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that doesn't. That only takes you so far. And it took me, like I said, running that jam uh, and taking classes. And Kevin Mullaney really helped me uh, of just understanding the logics of the scene. And then you find that balance between the two. So I lean pirate, but I found that equilibrium between the two. And that's what you're looking for, balance in your improv. And that's what the ninja term means. So mm-hmm. To me, a ninja means uh, uh, attack when you need to attack, but run away when you need to run away. Find mm-hmm. the total balance of the scene and know that every scene you're going to have to play differently. You don't want to play it differently. Uh, the same. You don't want to play it the same way every time. Every scene needs something different from you and you have to shore that up i guess this theory as i mentioned has been around a little bit it's a really great way to put it i mean it's it really jazz people you know right off the bat i think and (laughs) why do you think why do you think that is i think that's because 
it was, as you said, like, you know, saying robots and pirates just made it a little easier to make sense and was fun. You know, it was like automatically kind of funny. Uh, just thinking about like, oh, and the, yeah, I get it. You're a pirate. You're always like yeah. running in there, you know. And and so I think people were having fun with that. And of course, the robots love talking. You know, they loved analyzing everybody oh, sure. else. Um, they love labeling things. Yeah, <laughs> yep. <laughs> so it was uh, that? I just think anytime it's brought up, everyone just started going like, oh yeah, this. Oh, what am I? Oh, what are you? What is so and so? It was all just like endearing. And it wasn't yeah. like critical, and I think subconsciously people picked up on the fact of like, oh, it's actually okay for me to be analytical. I just need to yeah. also think about these other things. It isn't one yeah. way or the other. It's like be a ninja and and you know go for it. So I think that's why it, it exactly. picked up. Yeah, yeah. I think when I say strengthen your strength or strengthen your base. There's a lot of times uh, when I coming up, I would I was embarrassed how piratey I was. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of the greatest notes I ever got it was Kevin Mullaney in a swarm rehearsal. Uh, the, it was a mono scene in a uh, senior citizen's home, mm-hmm. and the note was, "Billy, you came in and you were just a her. You were a tornado." And I said, "Yes, I came in as a human tornado. Did you need to be a tornado?" No, I guess not. <laughs> you know, and there was great shame in that. And it's like, no, just be okay with who you are so that you can work on other things. Yeah. Don't create that obsession of being worried that you're being too much of you on stage. And that seems to be where my teaching is. When I get people into advanced classes, it's more I want to teach them to teach themselves, not me to constantly dictate to them who they are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that. I think teachers when I dictate people who they are and then I see them doing what I tell them who they are, it's like, well, that's not improv. You're just uh, doing what I'm telling you to do. Oh, I love that you're saying that. People have to take control of their own improv. Don't wait for people to tell you who you are. But right. it, but I would say I'm, I'm a pirate. <laughs> I would say though, in you know, in, in this theory, it, and as usual with any theory, any new theory, um, when one sure. comes up, people start to get, things a little off a little wrong um oh sure sure. you know like the ten thousand hours thing was misused so much uh so what people yeah (laughs) yeah. so what have people gotten wrong about the pirate robot ninja theory have you heard much of anyone yeah well first of all and i think will called me out on this is i changed i got it wrong at the Mm. beginning you know i said you're either a pirate a robot or a ninja like there's some people who are just naturally ninja-like and I realized, no, we're either this or that in the balance between the two. It's mm-hmm. just sometimes some people are more balanced than the other. Uh, right. I, oh, yeah, I guess I, I I think I've even done this, but I definitely heard other people say, I'm part robot and part ninja. And it's like, well, <laughs> that doesn't really yeah. make sense. <laughs> and I don't want to, I, I used to like, no, you're not. You're doing it wrong. It's like, you know what? That's not what the whole, the purpose is to identify yourself. Exactly. If you want to be that, then you be that. <laughs> uh, in fact, I just did a pirate robot ninja class and we expanded the categories even more. Oh, wow. Uh, so people could find their own house. So, uh, and this happened, I did a class and a form developed in New York called the ninja form. Mm-hmm. It was the last class I had in New York before I moved to L.A., so I said, fuck it, I'm going to do it. Uh, and in that class, uh, we used, I was, <laughs> it was clearly at that moment, I was really into kung fu films. And mm-hmm. I felt kung fu fighting, old school kung fu fighting was improv. 
it was a dance. It wasn't a fight. They worked off to each other. Mm-hmm. But all Kung Fu films all came from the different fighting styles, came from the House of the Tiger or the, the House of the, uh, the Golden Monkey or the House of the Lotus. And I said, well, look at those fighting styles and apply that to your improv style. Uh, uh, and people just looked, some people looked at me with glazed looks and then all the Kung Fu people went, yeah, I know what you're saying. <laughs> so if you're thinking Lotus style or, uh, what's the style Oh, crane style was mm-hmm. the first one I bring up, uh, which is Ralph Macchio, right? Kung mm-hmm. Fu, uh, what a karate kid. Karate kid, yeah. Like, what is that in improv? If you're a crane style improviser, what does that mean? And I let the class kind of, uh, kind of fill that out and like to me that means you find your moment there are certain players out there that might say seven words an entire show but you remember every single word they say Hmm. they sit there they find that moment and they strike and they said okay well what about tiger style and that's just kind of like a pirate you just go all out so the idea of that class and i still play with this every now and then is to find your house. Like, what's your style? What are the some things that you do? Mm-hmm. You know, start with pirate robot. Find out if you're on the pirate side or robot side. But now be more specific. Attach it to an animal or attach it to whatever mental, physical mm. being that you can think of. Uh, and I would say I kind of stole this from uh, Anthony Atamniak. you know Anthony? I don't know uh, him personally. I just know who he is. He was... Uh, a sub for that class, that ninja class that I did. I had to leave for a couple of weeks and he was subbing and he's such a hippie. Uh, uh, he had everybody lie down on the floor and imagine their house, their style. Just imagine your, uh, and I would never do this. I wouldn't have the balls to do this. <laughs> My class lie down on the floor and just sit there for 20 minutes and think about who they are. But I want you to find your house. You know, where are you from? And people were starting to imagine an example of there was one player. Uh, he developed the house of the exploding gorilla. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what the hell does that mean? Uh, uh, and then he explained what he saw in his eyes. He said, my improv is like, you know, when you're in the Congo forest in the mist and you see a gorilla in the mist and it looks so peaceful and beautiful and you walk up to it. And then it turns, it sees you, and it charges you with ferocity. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly how you improvise. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so all these people were developing their own identities, which is the end game, which, you know, it's like yeah. Anthony found the, through his hippie work, he mm-hmm. got to the end game. And there are some people in the class that weren't buying it at all. Like mm-hmm. there was one guy lying on the floor. I love this story. His name's Dan Greger, a hilarious guy. Mm-hmm. It's like he was not getting this at all. And it's like, where are you from? It's like, I don't know what you want me to say. <laughs> I don't know. What do you see? Uh, leaky hose. I'm a leaky hose. <laughs> and it's like, Dan, that's exactly how you improvise. <laughs> you are a leaky hose. <laughs> and not wanting to do it, he still found the yeah. truth. That's funny. So it was a little, you know, it's, it's just like all comedy and all learning. It's, there's a little truth to it. There's a little bullshit to it. And there's a mm-hmm. little bit of your own ego involved in developing this. And, uh, it just, the whole purpose of that is you taking ownership of your own work. That's Mm -hmm. what it means. Don't wait for somebody else. Take ownership of your own work and get on stage and do it. Do you ever find yourself in slumps or where you're all pirate or all robot or, or something like that? And, (laughs) you know, if so, like, how do, how do you advise people to kind of get out of that slump? 
my favorite note is there's no such thing as a slump, but right now I'm kind of in a slump. That's my favorite line. I don't know who said it, but it's like, yeah, I think we're all feel that. It's, you know what? Uh, it's natural. It's going to happen. And like, again, I say, take that way homer note, that 30 minutes it takes for you to get home. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, first of all, don't live next to the theater. Make sure you live 30 minutes away from the theater so you have the time. Uh, and that's when you process it. You know, uh, for me, my notes to myself when I'm in a slump, mm-hmm. it's more along the lines of I need to be more alert and aware. I was too tired on stage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm on a diet now. I'm trying to get healthier, uh, working out. As you get older, you realize, oh, I'm getting older. Uh, so my slump tends to be, if I'm slumping, it's more physical than it is mental. Mm-hmm. I just need to stay on top of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that's me personally. Uh if you have a, I don't know, uh, where do you think your slumps come from? I feel like I'm in a slump now and I can't really put my finger on it. I I think some of it is I'm getting kind of caught up in the, oh, I'm not funny and I'm not being funny. I'm not getting a laugh. And then I try too hard to get uh, a laugh. I think that's where I'm, yeah. that's, I think that's where it's at, but I don't really know how to do what I want to do which is to be a ninja, which it is to like, yeah, to have those, have the right, I to be president. And when I'm watching on the sidelines or be present in the scenes and let yeah. things come naturally, but also be more controlled with what I'm putting out. And I, I just, yeah. I don't know. I'm not finding the right I get balance. That. I get that. How long have you been, how long have you been doing this now? I've been doing improv since June of 2013. Um, Okay. And, yeah. Uh, I, but I started comedy three years before that. So yeah, you're. you're that makes sense. So, you know, you're still. Uh, you know, uh, do you feel? Here's the note that I'll give. Uh, you can't work on everything when you're on stage, but you can give yourself one thing to work on every time you get on stage. Mm-hmm. And I think this helps with slumps because it, it's hard to say. You can't pinpoint exactly why you're in a slump. So work on one thing every time you get up on stage. I know this happened to me. I forget which director told me to do this, but they said, work on this. In this show, try not to ask any questions at all. Just even if it works in the scene and you should ask a question, don't do it. Uh, And just see how that changes your work. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the idea behind that is when you're on that back wall and you're trying to do everything, you can't do anything. But if you give yourself that one assignment and you try to work on that one thing, everything else will tend to fall into place. Now, on your way home, beat yourself up if you didn't do what you were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And if you did it, pat yourself on the back all the way home. It's like, good, I got that. Now, what's the next thing I need to work on? I think if you just, you know, prioritize. Uh, it's, I feel being in a slump is the whole uh, but if you work on the individual things, individual techniques, it becomes a lot easier to see your improv. Mm-hmm. It's like an engine di- diagnostic, right? Let's try mm-hmm. this. Does this work? No. Let's try this. Let's, does this work? You can't do all of that in one show, one right. time you're on stage. But each time you're on stage, you can work on one of those things. So right. did this work if I did this? Yeah? No. Did this work if I did this? So for me, one of the problems I was having, the scenes were stalling. Once I quit asking questions and made statements, the scenes moved forward. Mm-hmm. So I worked on just that one note for that show. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I see. And then the next show, you work on another note or work on something else. 
Uh-huh. Uh, for me, if I work on all my notes at the same time, I can't do anything. Yeah, and that's you, when you get in your head. I can't and you're either. on the back wall. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because if you say like, oh, there are five things I'm going to try to work on. If you get you two or three of them, that's in that's literally great. Because yeah. to to give yourself two or three things to try to do and to get all of them is is yeah. phenomenal. But if yeah. you're saying, wow, but I missed these two or three, exactly. then you're going to like beat exactly. yourself up. And you, you've given yourself a fool's errand. Yeah. You'll always find something to beat yourself up over. I mean, get used to that. But also, mm-hmm. you know, enjoy the victories. Enjoy the victories. Yeah, I try to... I'm... Historically, I've uh, when I've I gotten off stage, especially a stand-up show, if I was like, ah, that didn't go well, that was no good. After a while, I would kind of go moment by moment and realize uh-huh. the show actually wasn't bad. Exactly right. Right. There's something to that. Like, if you get a group of seven people to get up and do an improv show, there is very rarely will all seven go. That was a great show. There's always one person that goes, oh, <laughs> right. that was horrible. Or right. the other way around. Or like, know, you all were great, was, well, but I, I was... liked it. I thought <laughs> we did a great job. Yeah. And then also, like, I think what I've done a good bit, because I'm on a team at the Magnet, and we've been together. We're coming up on a year and a half, and, and that's uh, a blessing. Uh, it's really great. And there have hmm. been there have been times this season where I've been like, that was a good show, but not because of me. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone else did great, but I stunk it up, you know, like I, and I think some yeah. of that looking back is coming from, uh, Oh, when I said a few things, I didn't get a laugh or yeah. the next day, yeah. um, when some you know people like to post highlights from a night, um, in our theater, uh, uh hopefully I'm not talking to inside baseball, but um, people will say like, oh, this team had a great set and this person doing this thing is so funny. And I'm like, ah, I never get that. I feel like I never <laughs> really gotten like my team might get something. But very rarely is it like Jason when he did this thing. And I think I've let that Good get work. in my head. You didn't get that. Well, here's what you do. You sign up a dummy account and you start complimenting yourself. <laughs> I mean, Take it's just like you'll be done. It's definitely like where the ego has affected me. Oh yeah, you know it's that's just your like, constant fight too. That's yeah. gonna be always to me. That's my fight. You know, and that goes back to what I said: is like quit blaming others. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know that's not the problem. You know, that's that's your ego kind of taking care of you. Mm-hmm. Do you find coming from a stand-up background, it's it's harder to develop that group mind? No, I never. I thankfully never had an issue with that. Um, I think what my issue was at times was, uh, maybe trying too hard to go for a laugh, but, um, yeah, yeah. you know, I very, because, you know, I was, I was acting before I was doing stand up, So I've always been like the, the, the art nerd, artsy nerd who was saying like, you know, seeing the sort of hippie side of, of performance of like yeah. all of us connecting and bouncing off of each other and all this kind of stuff. So for me, I was really jazzed about like, oh, all these other people are on stage and, uh, you know, I don't have to do everything alone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any moments where 
a good line came out of me that was always just like, well, that was because I've been doing stand-up for as long as I've been doing it. You know, I was able to <laughs> have that moment. But no, I really appreciate your advice because I have a show tonight. So I'm going to keep this in mind when I am heading out and when I get on stage. Give it a try. Yeah. Find out what your house of kung fu is in the middle of the show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think that's a, it's also just like maybe a growing period for me where I am trying to learn these different. I'm trying to learn other things, but I like what you said of sure. uh, work on your strengths and then work on your weaknesses from a place of strength, and I think that's a really yeah. good idea. Um, so maybe I should try to like kind of get in tune with myself again and work on you know like get my strengths uh, in my head clear again and be in that place and then work on a weakness. That's a great note. I mean, create your foundations. You stand in the place that you are. I feel, I felt shame in my strengths at first Mm. because I'm, you know, I know how to get a laugh. I'm just getting a cheap laugh. I'm not playing well with everybody else. It's like, no, that's not the case. That's you. You're always going to beat yourself up. Mm -hmm. Be okay with who you are and how you play and what you're strong at. And from there, it is so much easier to work on what you're not good at. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's basically the whole idea behind pirate robot is, you know, it's okay how you play. Absolutely. And own it so that you can work on other things. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is, has been a great conversation. It's now the end of the episode where we create something together. Ah. Uh-huh. Yes. And, um, let's see, what is something we could create together? Um, obviously we could do an improv scene and try to think about, uh, maybe even stopping ourselves at times to say like, okay, this, this felt like a robot or this felt like, you know, (laughs) or, um, since I do have a show tonight, if there's some sort of idea you have for what I can, uh, do to sort of prepare myself, what, what, are you doing a specific form or anything like that? We don't, uh, we, we sort of, uh, created this uh, silly form. It's not a silly form, but it's just like this, its own thing. And, um, it's not like a specific form. Um, yeah, it's just like we, we, I think our main thing is to go out and, and create a world and, and expand on that world then find ways to play within that. I like that. Is it like as a mono scene or is it just series of scenes? It's a series of scenes. So basically it's like they're different spaces on the stage. And in the middle, um, we start the show and um, that scene can have however many people in it. But then uh, that sort of establishes where we are and who's there. And then we can off to the right, stage right will someone will start a scene line in hand that would be someone else who would be in that location and then stage left the scene starts and it's some other people who would be in that location and uh, then we just kind of bounce between those and we can tangentially do something like upstage center and um, then we can also like go back and bounce around and so we can do all these, like, we can just hop around in this sort of world in different ways. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like fun. 
it is fun, and it's something that's been sort of new to us. Um, the last month, I guess, is when we've been doing that. Maybe a little more. Well, that sounds cool. Yeah. yeah. The reason why I was asking is because I'm working on a new form, hmm. and I don't know how to do it yet. It's too complicated. <laughs> uh, it's. Uh, I'm listening to. I don't know if this is what you you wanted, but maybe you can help me with it. I'm working yeah. on a. a for one of a better term, it's a premise fugue. You know what a fugue is? No. Musical. Uh, I've been listening to the history of music mm-hmm. <laughs> on uh, Audible, uh, and now I'm listening to the, the story of uh, Bach, uh, Johann Sebastian Bach, who did all these fugues. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I'm listening to it, uh, how it's done, it's like, oh my God, it's a herald. It starts out with a tune, and then it goes off into three different variations of that tune. Then it comes back to the tune. Then it goes off again. Uh, uh, so I don't know. This is a, I don't know how we can do this. I'm still. I was just writing it out before you called. I was just trying to figure out how to do this in class. Interesting. Uh, uh, let's do uh, uh, an improv scene. Give me a suggestion. Okay. Um, peak. Peak. Mm-hmm. Peak. All right. Uh, Captain? Yes. Looks like we're going to reach the summit in about two weeks. Uh, the rest of the men have a question for you. Um, okay. What's, what's the question? Uh, once we reach the summit, we're wondering... Uh, well, did you have any ideas of what we we're going to name the mountain? Oh, um, I, if I'm being honest, uh, I was going to name it after my, my family dog. What? Your, your family dog? I love the dog. My whole family loved the dog, but the dog loved me the most. And, well, she passed recently, and I thought it would be a great way to honor her memory well this is the men and i were talking about this it's just every summit we reach every mountaintop you seem to be naming them after first of all i'm sorry about your dog passing i thank you my condolences Mm -hmm. but it just seems like you name everything after parts of your family and it's like we've been on this this expedition with you for two years it's like would you even think of maybe naming a mountain after one of us yeah, I suppose, but you do understand the family members that I have been naming these mountains after are uh, people who've deceased. So, I uh, maybe after oh. one of you dies, I could name something after you, but hopefully that won't happen soon. <laughs> well, <laughs> that brings another point. Uh, uh, Charlie's frostbit, he's not going to last the day. I think maybe we can name the mountain after him. But uh, uh, what about Peppers? Peppers? That's Your the family dog. Peppers? It was Peppers, and I was going to name the mountain Mount Peppers. Oh. Don't that you does, think? That sounds nice. That sounds great, right? Like, way better yeah. than Mount Charlie? Than Mount, well, his last name is Fuckstick. <laughs> well... It's a dynamite name, but Mount Peppers just rolls off the tongue, don't you think? 
I, I guess so. Uh, just before we go to the next summit, or do you have any other uh, any other deceased family members? Or Charlie is dying. It'd be nice to name something after him. Well, I. I don't have any other deceased family members I was going to name anything after. That's, it took you a while to think about that. That's something you should know right away, sir. Well, I just had to go over all the mountains I have named and the people that I was close with. I mean, there's my great-grandfather, uh, my mother didn't like, and her mother, my grandmother, hated. Oh, so oh, I never oh, named one after oh. them. All right, sir. Okay. Uh, don't want to. Again. We're here with you right now. Some of right. us are close to death. It'd be nice just if right. you thought about it. It doesn't have to be Mount Fuckstick. If you, you don't have to do that, but Mount Charles or some other name. So you're nixing Mount Peppers is what I gather? Oh, I, maybe maybe we could call it the Charlie Peppers. Pepper oh. Charlie. Hmm. How much longer do we have on this expedition, sir? Well, you said uh, two weeks for the next one, and uh, I guess we'd have to reassess But um, for the next one after this. But I mean, maybe two, three months? I don't know. There are lots okay. of mountains out there. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, if you want to call this Mount Peppers, I don't want to. And look, you know, I dog. obviously, I don't have much family to go. I've already gotten down to the animals. So, you know, okay. uh, once we name a mountain after my dog and another one after my goldfish, I, we can get to you all. Okay. Well, we would like goldfish. Yes. You have a goldfish? You want to name a mountain after a goldfish? There's a great goldfish. And see. <laughs> is that what you say? Is that how you end it? Or does it <laughs> No, there it is. That's that was a fun scene. I'm really glad we got to do do improv together. Uh now that you have heard at least one scene of my improv where would you say I lent can you observe uh from having been in a scene if someone's a robot or uh, a ninja or... Oh my god, you're such a fucking robot I can't stand it. <laughs> no, I can't tell. You know what? You know what I was doing that whole time? Uh, what was that? I was listening to myself ask you questions. So I was like, going, what am I doing? I just talked about asking questions. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> and you know why I did it is because I knew as a, I guess instinctively knew as a robot, you could handle it, <laughs> that you would love to answer that question. Do you yeah. feel you're a robot? Yes. Yes, a I robot do. Tendency? I'm a very yeah. analytical, like in my head, like what does the scene need? And I think maybe yeah. part of the problem I'm having right now is like, I don't know. I don't know what this scene, <laughs> I'm not good at that. Yeah. That's the most honest answer is how you said, I don't know. That's it. That's <laughs> the rest of your improv career. <laughs> maybe I should just like forego that and say like, you know, let's just go out there and be honest and let things come as they come and re respond uh, genuinely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well there it is thanks so much for being on the podcast Billy well thanks for having me Jason break a leg tonight I so love that way Homer note that he gave I just think that's really great advice so only be critical in the amount of time that it takes for you to get home after a show after that let it go move on 
So great. And I'm so embarrassed to admit that I care about getting mentioned in the highlights. So I do, you know, it's not fair to the community or my team because in order to be that self-conscious, I have to be self-centered and I'm not giving genuine performances if I'm just thinking about myself. But also those highlights are to celebrate the community, not for me. So that's something I need to change. And that's why I'm fine to share it, but it's embarrassing. Be sure to check out Billy's book. We have a link to that in the bio. We also have links to subscribe to our newsletter and to follow Billy and our social media accounts. Until next time, be good to each other, including yourself. The music for the theme song was created by Neil Brooks. The rap was written and performed by Nick Acevedo. The logo for There It Is was created by Jeff Prater. The There It Is podcast is produced by Jason Farr. (laughs) 